Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Ladies and gentlemen, we know the lesson the notorious New York City fixer Roy Cohen taught to a young Donald Trump, then just a pisher from Queens. If they hit you, punch back ten times harder. Well, today, if the plastic surgery hadn't been so bad, Roy Cohen would be smiling. Also, if he wasn't dead. Let's back up a few years. I think on this program I said, or on Twitter I wrote, that Donald Trump merited, at the very least, an investigation from the moment he took office as president. He had, in full view, refused to divest himself of his business holdings, how massive or not they were. He retained ownership of all the properties and named his own arm's-length sons to run them. Soon enough, world leaders and foreign and domestic operatives eager to influence our government realized a new method was at hand. Stay at the Trump Hotel in D.C. Become a Mar-a-Lago member. That pattern of facts added up to daily violations of the Foreign Am Emoluments Clause of the Constitution of the United States. These United States. None of this was hidden or secret. It was violation in plain sight. And yet, as Democrats began to take what was called the resistance into the legislative realm, they held no hearings, no investigations into the continuing emoluments violations. Instead, they rolled headlong into a theory for which there were a few facts and a lot of suppositions. The theory that the Trump campaign actively colluded with powerful Russian support to cheat Hillary Clinton out of the election to which she felt entitled. Given the active obstruction of the administration, teasing out all the leads in this theory dragged on, as you probably remember, for a couple of years, eventuating in some uh, convictions for ancillary bad acts and a few facts and a lot of suppositions. And one very ticked-off president. Why did the Dems pursue Russia and not emoluments? Because emoluments was about Trump's behavior as president. Russia challenged, little thing I mentioned last week, the legitimacy of his election as president. It wasn't nearly as easy to prove the wrongdoing alleged about Russia, but it did serve the interest of one particular sore loser. Hence, the rictus of Roy Cohn. According to one White House source quoted by CNN this week, <laughs> President Trump's key motivation in the war on transition is simply revenge. Punching back harder. Proving he can be ten times the sore loser she was. That's what we're living through. Trumpy see, Trumpy do. Hello, welcome to the show. Why? Oh, I can't 
From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer. Just this this close to the Sunset Strip, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcoming you to this edition of the show. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, time to consider what a smart world we live in. Worn-out memory chips can cause a whole host of problems with some Tesla cars. Uh-oh, I'll be right back. No, I got my keys. The uh, problems range from the failure of the rear-view camera to an absence of turn signal chimes and other audio alerts. This uh, watchdog warning is uh, repeated in the register of the British tech rag. Some... Almost 160,000 Tesla Model S and Model X vehicles built between 2012 and 2018 are at risk. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. These all use an infotainment system. Aren't we glad they made up that word? Powered by NVIDIA's Tegra 3 system on chips that include 8 gigabytes of a certain kind of storage, NAND for short, typically found in phones and cheap laptops. That's what I want in my car. The trouble is, these flash chips are wearing out. Sorry, no flash left. Having hit their program, er- having hit their program erase cycle limits. 
Don't we all feel that way right about now? And are unable to reliably store data, causing glitches in operation. The storage controllers can no longer find good working blocks of the storage system to use, and thus fail. It's the best excuse. According to a probe by investigators for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, at least 30% of the infotainment systems made in certain build months are falling due or failing due to the flash being worn out, typically after three to four years in service. Thank you for your service, Chips. According to the Safety Administration, the storage breakdown can, quote, result in loss of rear-view backup camera, loss of HVAC defogging setting controls. There was also an impact on the advanced driver assistance support, autopilot system, uh-oh, and turn signal functionality due to the possible loss of audible chimes, driver sensing, and alerts associated with these things. Based, this is based on 16,000 complaints. Hey, listen, he's busy with Mars. And infotainment hardware replacement requests submitted by Tesla owners to the automaker, the team which has been collecting evidence from Tesla for its investigation. This is the team at NHTSA. Pinpointed the flash as the problem and reckoned the issue is widespread enough to warrant a public warning to Tesla owners and those thinking of buying a Tesla. Quote, an engineering analysis has been opened to further assess the scope, frequency, and safety-related cons- consequences of the alleged defect, according to National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's Office of Defect investigation. That sounds like a good place to work. Newer models fitted with an improved computer unit aren't affected by these problems since they don't use the same chips. Instead, use Intel-powered hardware, the kind that Apple just abandoned. Tesla says it has admitted firmware updates that try to reduce the wear and tear of the flash chips. Specifically, the patches reduce memory usage of the flash storage improve error correction, always a good idea, and storage management strategies, changing the control logic for turn signal activation and defaulting the HVAC system to auto 71.6 Fahrenheit for drives after failure to address windshield defogging. (laughs) The manufacturer admitted the flash memory will still fail eventually. Well, there's good news, regardless of any software updates applied and will require a hardware replacement. Meanwhile, Tesla's stock price jumped 13% after it was announced it's going to be traded on the S&P 500. That's what traders really care about. Trading. But now, inside your smart house, it's part of your smart world, isn't it? I think so, by definition. Nest is down, according to, again, the register. A widespread outage means smart home customers <laughs> are unable to log into their accounts, use their smartphones to view video live feeds, adjust thermostat controls, or interact with any of Nest's product range. Users in North America and Northern Europe have been hit the hardest. Of course, nobody buys this stuff anywhere else. The outage was noticed early um, Tuesday morning this week at Google's home base. The company's Twitter support account posted it was aware of an issue affecting some Google Nest devices in the Google Nest app and are currently investigating. Two hours later, Google claimed to have identified the issue, ready to fix. Hadn't deployed it right away. 
The outage was an unfortunate reminder to Nest customers that their expensive equipment is almost entirely reliant on Google's servers to be useful and Google's ongoing efforts to pull Nest into the corporate fold. Google bought Nest continues to cause significant problems. It suffered a similar outage in February. That went on for 16 hours. Last month, Google uh, stopped selling its Nest Secure security product, along with its smart sensors and key fobs, without making an announcement and left the issue of future support for the product hanging. That came two months after Google paid almost half a billion for a 7% stake in Another security provider, ADT. Before that, Nest users were infuriated when Google tried to force them to switch over to Google accounts, which would allow the tech giant to direct, directly connect their use of Nest products to its vast database of personal information cleaned from its other products. You know, that personal information, that's all got to be aggregated together. That's not worth as much if it's separate. You know that. Faced with a wave of criticism, Google relented, but only for a short period of time. Nest users will be required in the future to shift to Google logins. Users are constantly prodded to access their Nest accounts through Google. Earlier this month, Nest also killed the ability of British customers to place calls to mobiles and landlines through Nest speakers free of charge. That service is still currently available to U.S. customers because we're number one. Britain. Britain. There has also been a flurry of technical problems as Google has tried to re-engineer Nest products to work with Google standards and protocols and only partially succeeding so far, causing service outages and conflicts. I feel safer already. And according to BBC News, the number of domestic abuse cases has increased dramatically since the COVID lockdown, tech playing a role. Smart speakers, tracking apps, and key logging software are among products that have made it easier for perpetrators to maintain control of victims and continue abuse. The Domestic Violence Charity Refuge says more than 70% of those it provides support to have reported tech-related abuse within a relationship. When he left the house, said one, that's when I started to see that he was using the Ring doorbell camera to track me. I could take the battery out of it if I wanted to, but I didn't feel like I could because he would say to me, you're compromising our children's safety. I was worried he would go to the police and try to suggest that I'm a bad mother. Another explained how her partner used Amazon's virtual assistant to monitor via a function that lets users remotely connect to enabled, smart, to enabled smart speakers and listen via an intercom-like facility. He set up all the accounts. He would set up family sharing on things. There were various Alexa devices all over the property. He could drop in from outside or he could go to someone's house and ring the Alexa when we were at home. Dr. Leone Tanzer says she frequently comes across this issue of control in a study of gender and Internet of Things devices she's leading at University College London. The perpetrator, who very often tends to be male, is the person that purchases the device and maintains the device, she explains. That gives the person a lot of control over both the environment they're in, but also the device admin settings. Sounds like a smart house to me. But back into the smart world... Facebook's artificial intelligence algorithms aren't effective enough to automatically screen for violent images 
or child abuse. That leaves the job to human moderators. Now, now complaining about having to come into an office to scream to screen harmful content during coronavirus pandemic. In an open letter to the social media giant, over 200 content moderators said the company's technology was futile. Quote, it is important to explain that the reason you have chosen to risk our lives is that this year Facebook tried using AI to moderate content and failed. AI fails? Huh. As COVID-19 spread across the world, Facebook ramped off its efforts to use machine learning algorithms to automatically remove toxic posts. The letter from the uh, content moderators is backed by Foxglove, not owned by Rupert Murdoch, apparently. That's a tech-focused nonprofit. The letter claimed that the technology would make it easier for human moderators since the worst content, graphic images of self-harm, violence, or child abuse, would be screened beforehand, leaving them with less traumatic work, like removing hate speech or misinformation. Initially, there was some success, according to the director of Foxglove, who spoke to the aforementioned register tech website. During the at-home work period, at first we did have reports of a decrease in people's exposure to graphic content, but then it appears from Facebook's own transparency documents that this meant non-violating content got taken down and problematic stuff like self-harm stayed up. This is the for- source of the drive to force these people back to the office, unquote. The moderators are kept six feet away from each other, but there have been numerous cases of staff members being infected with COVID-19 in multiple offices. Workers have asked Facebook leadership, this is quoting the letter again, and the leadership of your outsourcing firms like Accenture to take urgent steps to protect us and value our work. You refused. We're publishing this letter because we're left with no choice. Unquote. They've asked Facebook to let them work from home more and to provide higher wages to those going into the office. They also want the company to offer health care and mental health services to help them deal with the psychological trauma of content moderation. Facebook says we prioritize their health and safety. Of course, it's a priority. It may not be the top priority, but it's a priority. In this smart, 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 smart world. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Hey, here's the good news, everybody. Microplastic pollution is everywhere, including near the summit of the highest mountain on Earth. We've done it. New research based on a National Geographic expedition to Mount Everest last year details how microplastics were found in snow samples collected from several locations on the mountain, including just below the summit at approximately 26,600 feet. Samples of snow collected on the mountain and in the valley below contain quantities of polyester, acrylic, nylon, and polypropylene fibers. This research was published in One Earth. The materials are used to make outdoor clothing commonly used by climbers. The climbers did it, as well as tents and ropes used to scale the summit. Now, why didn't I think of that? The highest concentrations of microplastics were found around the base camp, where climbers spend the majority of their time. Lower quantities of microplastics were found in streams leading down from the mountain to a national park. Researchers said this could be due to the continuous flow of water created by glaciers or, you know, other stuff that might go in the uh, streams. 
like streams. Microplastics found closer to the summit may have been transported from lower altitudes by extreme winds, the researchers said. Finding microplastics near the summit of Mount Everest is a timely reminder we need to do more to protect our environment, said Imogen Imogen Knapper, a National Geographic explorer. Knapper. There's a surname I've never heard before. So you learn something useless every day. And drinking coffee from a paper cup could lead to the ingestion of thousands of harmful microplastics. That's the warning of new research amid fears the tiny particles could increase the risk of cancer. This is from the UK newspaper The Telegraph, and it raises the question, in my mind at least, what are, ma- what are microplastics doing in a paper cup? Researchers found storing hot drinks in paper cups releases around 25,000 micro micron-sized plastic particles into the drink in a matter of minutes. That, by the way, is uh, the temperature at which they did that was a lot hotter than the temperature at which you'd be drinking your coffee. We should hope. The study, due to be published in the Journal of Hazardous Materials, revealed the microplastic layer of the cup degrades in just 15 minutes. The amount of time it takes to drink the coffee or tea. Really? Not espresso, babe. Dr. Suda Gol, the lead author of the study, explained an average person drinking three regular cups of tea or coffee daily in a paper cup would end up ingesting 75,000 tiny microplastic particles, which are invisible to the naked eye, unquote. And yet they'd stay visible. How does it? Some 264 billion paper cups were produced last year, equivalent to 35 for every person on the planet. And I don't use any, so you got mine. There's emerging concern about the effects of ingesting microplastics. As you know, research published by academics at Arizona State this year revealed that microplastics can enter human organs. Sit down. Set a spell. But they stress it is not yet known whether the plastics are just a nuisance or whether it represents a human health hazard. A report by the World Wildlife Fund published last year found the average person (laughs) ingests the equivalent of a credit card in plastic each week. So your credit should be better than... No, I don't think that means that. Although the health impacts of microplastics on humans still needs further research, experts, unnamed in this report, have linked microplastic pollution to inflammation, infertility, and cancer in animals. Dr. Gohl, the researcher on this particular topic... Said micro, he's from the Indian Institute of Technology at Karagpur. He says microplastics act as carriers for contaminants like ions, toxic heavy metals such as palladium, chromium, and cadmium, as well as organic compounds that are water-repelling and cross, can cross over into the animal kingdom. When ingested regularly over time, the health implications could be serious. Unquote. The temperature at which they were doing this study... 85 to 90 degrees Celsius. That's, that'll burn the old tongue. Probably hurts more than the microplastics.
From the home of the homeless, this is Blue Show. Now, um, an item about the Olympics. It's a movement, and um, it's taken some moves. It's it's announcing some moves. The Summer Olympics may have gotten postponed for a year. Athletes are still training. And while it looks the games could maybe held next year, athletes and coaches may not get the full Olympic experience outside their competitions. Yes, the competition isn't the full Olympics. Not even the commercials. International organizers for the Games stated this week that athletes will not be allowed to have late-night parties in the Olympic Village. What is this, some kind of movement? Furthermore, they will not be allowed to mill about town in early mornings or late at night. And they'll be, <laughs> they'll be encouraged to leave Japan within a couple of days after their events are concluded. You must go now! You must go now! There could be mandatory vaccines. That, that was a guy from somewhere. There could be mandatory vaccines and on-site rapid tests for the coronavirus as well. Oh, those would be nice. The International Olympic Committee is still considering a way to hold its most popular event, the opening ceremony. That is considered to be a possible super spreader. Sounds like some margarine that they used to sell in the world. By the way, this report from Newsweek. Did I say part of the budding lifelong relationships, friendships, particularly that occur at late night parties within the athletes village won't be happening. Those late night late nights will now be frowned upon. That'll that'll make them earlier. That'll scare them. Also, the athletes would typically stay in the village many days after competition will indeed be encouraged to leave. Staying longer in the village increases the potential of problems, says John Coates, the IO member, IOC member in charge of Tokyo preparation. He also said athletes will be discouraged from sightseeing in the local cities for extended hours. 
Take that one-hour tour of Tokyo, won't you? You'll find it fascinating. Now news of the atom. The head of the Tennessee Valley Authority acknowledges that the commitment to excellence and safety by the managers and employees of the TVA wasn't what it should have been in the past. Just in the past. That contributed to the TVA receiving record fines over the past year for previous safety violations. But that was only at its nuclear plants. That's where the safety violations occurred. No reason to worry about safety violations at their nuclear plants. But as a licensed nuclear engineer who has helped run three of North America's biggest nuclear power programs, the new president of the TVA, Jeff Lyash, insists TVA Cannon is doing better today. This according to the Times Free Press of Tennessee. TVA's nuclear program in decades past was too accepting of mediocrity and just rising to the average, he said in an interview with the newspaper. That's not a nuclear program we want. We want a nuclear fleet that's best in the industry, unquote. Can't they all be... Can't they all be at least average? Lyash said the penalties imposed against TVA earlier this month for regulatory violations five five years ago. Come on, man. During the restart of a Tennessee nuclear power plant, those penalties underscore some of the deficiencies at TVA in the past. We're not looking backward, are we? We're looking forward. I think the NRC gave TVA three fines totaling almost a billion dollars. No, sorry, almost a million dollars for providing inaccurate and insufficient information to regulators and violating proper procedures. When pressurized water levels rose uncontrollably during the start of Unit 1 at the Watts Bar nuclear plant. The NRC issued violation notices against two former plant managers and a site director at Watts Bar when the incident occurred for failing to adequately investigate and report the regulatory violations. This was the biggest ever fines these were against the TVA, the largest imposed by the NRC on any utility since 2005 when the commission slapped its biggest fine ever against First Energy in Ohio for what was once regarded as one of the most dangerous nuclear incidents in 2002. The NRC imposed a five and a half million penalty against First Energy for safety violations regarding a leaking vessel head. That's a new insult. Why, you leaking vessel head, you? The fines proposed this month are the third set of fines by the NRC against TVA in the past year for regulatory violations at the same plant, Watts Bar. The TVA said, uh, C- the TVA CEO said the criticisms of the NRC are valid and demonstrate the TVA, quote, didn't effectively follow our own procedures and didn't demonstrate the correct approach to conservative decision-making. These incidents didn't put the public safety at risk, but they were indicative of a culture that wasn't acceptable, he said. You can't tolerate a culture in a leadership style that allows even these lower kind of events to happen. He said the TVA nuclear program is much better today, with different leaders, practices, and culture. TVA still remains under heightened regulatory oversight due to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's finding two years ago that there is a chilled work environment in the nuclear program. Well, that would cool off the reactor, and no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. They don't mean it that way. I can I can tell you for us for a concerned fact 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. Just a little bit. Not too much. Soft, listen to the warm. You can handle it. We can listen to the warm. As the world's climate warms, parasite-carried wildlife diseases will move north with animals in cold far north and high altitude regions expected to suffer the most dramatic increases. That's a warning from a study published in the journal Science. What do they know? The study projects increasing spread over the next five decades of wildlife diseases caused by bacteria, your fungi, your viruses, and your infectious worms. There are serious implications. I'm sorry. There are serious implications for humans, said the co-author of the study. We do know that 75% of emerging infectious diseases have a wildlife origin, said the co-author, who runs an ecology and public health lab at Notre Dame. We should, he said, be concerned for our own health when we see studies suggesting that there could be increases in infectious disease in wildlife. Study notes climate change is already causing a surge in wildlife diseases, people are already being infected with diseases coming from wildlife, including COVID-19. You've heard of it. The study supports the thermal mismatch theory of wildlife disease, finding that cold-adapted species are at increased risk when their habitats, habitats warm, and warm-adapted species are at increased risk when their habitats cool. We need more adaptable wildlife, don't you think? Can we work on that? At current rates of carbon emissions and warming, the study found parasites spreading wildlife diseases will increase sharply in prevalence at high latitudes and high altitudes, some nearly doubling by 2070 at many boreal and mountain locations. If the warming is slowed, there will be much, much smaller increases in infectious disease in wildlife. At most risk are the cold-blooded critters, amphibians, fish, and insects among them, they can't regulate body temperatures to adjust to warming conditions. I say they should apply for admission to the warm-blooded thing, but I don't. I, I think the application is really, really long. Study doesn't break down risk by animal species. That's the subject of ongoing research. So stay tuned to some station or other. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I mentioned at the top we're going through the war on transition right now. Um, as this program is being recorded, news is coming in that uh, another legal effort by the Trump elite strike force, self-described legal team, all self-isolating as well as self-describing right now because of their exposure to uh, somebody with the COVID, Rudy Giuliani's son, um, that effort has failed, slapped down by a court in Pennsylvania. So, again, the um, the more symbolic nature of the effort takes possible precedence over the, uh, the idea that this could actually work. It may, maybe uh, the time, therefore, is right to uh, cast our ears backwards in time a little bit to a moment during this administration that's commemorated on uh, a new album called The Many Moods of Donald Trump. This was a moment when uh, 
President Trump was introducing an immigration bill which was destined to fail. It was introduced with this slogan which struck me as kind of novel. This should be a bipartisan bill. This should be a bill of love. Truly, it should be a bill of love. Love, love, love. 
If you're a fan of irony like I'm a fan of irony, you'll like this next story, I promise. A U.S. agency facing mounting scrutiny over how it doled out checks from a pandemic relief program, a $212 billion program, that agency of this administration has privately directed employees not to use a certain word in writing if they spot suspicious applications for the aid. The word, ladies and gentlemen, the prohibited word, is fraud. Ain't that a kick in the pants? Workers reviewing requests from the Small Business Administration's COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program have instead been told by managers to use alternative phrases, not, not facts, but phrases such as duplicate, according to four people who received the instructions. Asked not to be identified, but they talked to the Washington Post anyway. The terms varied among teams and could be misleading, the people said. The rationale given by some employee, to some employees, any documents could be targeted by public records requests. Oh, it could become public, the word fraud. We wouldn't want that. Nobody's used that word in public lately. The directive threatens to make it harder for the Small Business Administration to gauge the scope of abuse of the program. The agency faces congressional calls to explain how it will identify any grants and loans sent to scammers and how it will recover taxpayer money. Give me some taxpayer money. California Representative Judy Chu, head of the House Small Business Committee panel on oversight, said she plans to hold a hearing on all of this. The guidance hasn't stopped employees from flagging applications they view as needing more scrutiny, but the lack of consistent language has led to confusion as workers try to relay their concerns to colleagues, said the um, employees who wouldn't be named. SBA strongly denies the staff processing these loans were discouraged from identifying suspected fraud, said the agency. If red flags are triggered through system controls or manual review, actions are taken to put the loan application on hold so the agency can conduct due diligence. SBA takes fraud very seriously. Bloomberg News described last month how tutorials for illicitly tapping the small business aid program went viral on social media. The agency, in a report, rushed out grants of as much as $10,000 to applicants who weren't eligible. Sometimes the agency ignored concerns raised by loan officers. report that same week by the agency's inspector general found the SBA's program was vulnerable to fraud and identified tens of billions of dollars in applications that he said need further inspection. That turned attention to whether the SBA will acknowledge widespread abuses. The current administrator said the inspector general's report overstated the risk of such fraud. SBA loan officers around the around the country, speaking on condition that they not be named, said in recent weeks superiors have admonished them, usually verbally, not to use fraud when making internal notations about applications. One manager remarked to staff that, quote, fraud is the new F word, according to one of the people. That's a T-shirt. Get to it. I'll be, I'll be right here with the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. 
to the Nazi Kristallnacht program. Program. Quote, I observe the second, 82nd anniversary of Kristallnacht, as I often do. It is the event that began the horrors of the Holocaust. I also noted President Trump's attack on history, facts, knowledge, and truth, Amanpour said, recalling her comparison. I should not have juxtaposed the two thoughts. Hitler and his evil stand alone, of course, in history. I regret any pain my statement may have caused. Radio France Internationale, a French public radio broadcaster, please give, apologized this week after mistakenly publishing drafts of obituaries for living celebrities and public figures, including Queen Elizabeth II. In a tweet, RFI English wrote that a number of obituaries were published on its French website by accident due to a technical problem. We're working to rectify this serious bug, and we apologize to all concerned, as well as those who follow us and put their trust in us. The account wrote, among those it publicized obituaries for Pele, Clint Eastwood, Sophia Loren, and Brigitte Bardot. They're all alive, everybody. The owner of Benny Brewing Company, a craft brewery and restaurant in Hanover Township, Pennsylvania, apologized this week for an event last Sunday at the establishment at which mask wearing and social distancing were not observed. Ben Schoenfeld sent in a message to Benny Brewing's Facebook page. He had to make a quick decision when a rainstorm on Sunday forced staff members to close the door to the patio. That left those attending Polka Fest, a scheduled event, to cram into the inside seating area at Benny Brewing. I want to apologize to everyone, Schoenfeld said in the video message. He said that in the middle of Polka Fest, the weather became a huge concern. Wind and rain blowing sideways on the patio. He had to decide quickly what to do. His decision to proceed with the event, even though it was limited to the indoor area of the restaurant, was wrong, he said. I can promise it will never happen again. Unquote. Blame it on the polka. Fashion may be facing a reckoning when it comes to cultural borrowing, one that at very least forces credit to be given where it's due. Corny women's wear daily. After a call out for cultural appropriation for Mexico's Secretary of Culture, Late last month, designer Isabel Marant has apologized. She said the brand has always been open to the world and oriented toward foreign cultures and traditions. For this reason, it reinterprets the dress codes in order to enhance and highlight the cultural mix. If the Maison Isabel Marant and with it its creator have disrespected the Puripecha community in Mexico, to whom you give a voice, they beg you, Madam Minister, and the country you rep- represent, to accept their most sincere apology. Read the letter signed by Marat herself and the brand chief executive officer. In the future, we will ensure that our interests coexist and expressly pay tribute to our sources of inspiration by expressing our gratitude to the owners of traditional cultural expressions. Is that enough? Well, I do. You want money? She didn't say that. A major American supermarket chain has apologized for a poorly worded advertisement that encouraged people to host gatherings, even as experts expressed caution over Thanksgiving Day meals turning into super spreader events. Giant Foods advertisement played on those super spreader concerns with a glossy magazine advert showing platters of seasonal food alongside the tagline, Hosting? Plan a super spread. The ad appeared in the chain's own in-house magazine. The 
don't have an outhouse magazine, as it turns out. It received an immediate online backlash, accused of being insensitive to the suffering caused by the pandemic. Giant Foods quickly apologized, which used the language super spread to describe an abundance of food. While in hindsight, the choice of words was a poor one. Giant had no intentions of insensitivity. We continue to encourage people to practice safe social distancing practices for celebrating the holidays. That was in a statement that Giant Foods issued. Governor Gavin Newsom of California apologized this week for visiting a Napa Valley restaurant with people from other households, saying his behavior contradicted the spirit of the safety guidelines and precautions he has asked Californians to adhere to during the pandemic. Quote, I want to apologize to you because I need to preach and practice, not just preach and not practice. And I've done my best to do that. We're all human. We all fall short sometimes. Unquote. He acknowledged the faux pas may result in a loss of his moral authority on the pandemic as California now experiences a major surge. He discussed his own behavior on the same day that he announced a reversal of his reopening plans and ordered 28 counties to return to the purple tier. That's the state's most restrictive guidelines. He attended a birthday party for his political advisor, Jason Kinney, a registered lobbyist. Well, that's okay, isn't it? At the French Laundry restaurant in Yountville, that's home of the historic Yount. Daylight Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Wesleyan University professor has resigned over criticism of controversial comments he made on social media regarding Joe Biden. The university reported the news of Dr. Paul Ewell's resignation on Monday. He's a management, business, and economics professor, also resigned as dean of the Wesleyan University Global Campus. Now deleted Facebook post he made on social, well, it'll be on social media, of course, if it's on Facebook. The week of the general election asked people who chose Biden for president to unfriend me. His post went on to say that anyone who chose Biden for president is ignorant, anti-American, and anti-Christian. President, <laughs> president Trump supported Ewell's message on Twitter, saying, quote, progress. The university released a statement. It's aware of a recent comment made on social media by a member of the campus community. These views and opinions are expressly the individual's own. We remain an inclusive, inclusive and caring community that empowers meaningful relationships through listening, understanding, and communication. Ewell said he set a poor example in that post of what a Christian should be and that he should not have spoken out of anger. He apologized for the post. I have many Democrat friends, and I want to apologize for saying that I didn't want to be friends with them and for calling them names. I'm genuinely sorry for letting my anger get the best of me, unquote. University spokesperson said the school is addressing the situation internally. I guess it's tanking in Aspen. Amazon apologized this week after its official support Twitter account repeatedly insisted incorrectly that Northern Ireland wasn't a part of the UK. Of all the things Amazon has to apologize for... The tech giant's apology came four hours after a customer who recently removed from the Republic of Ireland in the north complained that he couldn't watch live rugby on Amazon Prime. Amazon Help said, We apologize, but upon reviewing your location, you're in Northern Ireland. Rugby Autumn Nations Cup coverage is exclusively available to Prime members based in the UK. Four hours later, after Twitter users highlighted the mistake, the account apologized and said Amazon Prime subscribers in Northern Ireland and the rest of the U.K. can watch the uh, rugby. We apologize for the error in our colleague's response. (laughs) 
journalists, comedians, and other people from Ireland, the UK, and the US responded to Amazon's tweet, joking about the company reuniting Ireland. You don't want to be doing that. The Danish minister in charge of farming resigned Wednesday as he took the blame for the government's ordering the culling of all farmed mink without having the necessary legislation in place first. Wow, the mink have a good lobbyist. The culling, otherwise known as the killing, was ordered after a mutated version of the coronavirus was found in some farms and had infected people. There's no evidence the mutated version is more dangerous, but the government moved quickly out of concern for safety, even though it lacked the, the legal basis to order the killing of healthy animals. I have today informed the Prime Minister I want to resign from the government, said the 57-year-old Agriculture Minister Mogan Jensen. I apologize and I take full responsibility. He said the government started killing infected animals. However, the order was also given. The non-infected animals were to be culled, i.e. killed, Roughly 15 million minks. There are about 1,100 mink farms in Denmark, employing about 6,000 people. Breeders have said the culling, meaning the killing, will mean the killing, i.e. the culling of the industry. Tucker Carlson turned in the highest rating for any cable news show ever. It's fun. It's fun. TV is fun. Days after his record ratings were published, Carlson called on viewers to reject the mainstream Republican Party, which feeds them, quote, partisan junk food designed to make them feel full even as they waste away. It's lunacy, the Fox News host said. We fall for it every time, and to the extent the show has participated in it, we apologize with deepest sincerity. Unquote. I just get embarrassed when people watch me. I'm not going to watch you. Okay, good. And our final apology is a pretty serious one. The Australian Defence Force Chief, Angus Campbell, has released the findings of a long-awaited report into allegations of war crimes carried out by Australian soldiers in America's longest war in Afghanistan. The report has been released in redacted form, includes allegations that Australian special forces carried out dozens of murders, including incidents where junior soldiers were forced to shoot prisoners. Today, the Australian Defence Force is rightly held to account for allegations of grave misconduct, said Campbell. What the Inspector General finds is greatly at odds with the good effort and damaging to our moral authority as a military force. His report details credible information regarding deeply disturbing allegations of unlawful killings by some. To the people of Afghanistan, on behalf of the Australian Defence Force, I sincerely and unreservedly apologize for any wrongdoing by Australian soldiers. Such alleged behavior profoundly disrespected the trust placed in us by the people of Afghanistan. They had asked for our help. It would have devastated the lives of Afghan families and communities, causing them immeasurable pain and suffering. And it would have put in jeopardy both our mission and the safety of our Afghan and coalition partners. And to the people of Australia, I'm sincerely sorry for any wrongdoing by members of the Australian Defence Force. According to the Inspector General's report, none of the alleged unlawful killings were described as being in the heat of battle. None were alleged to have occurred in circumstances in which the intent of the perpetrator was unclear, confused, or mistaken. These findings allege the most serious breaches of military conduct 
and professional values. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Thank goodness no American soldiers did that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week, same time, same radio station, on your audio device, at a time of your choosing. You the boss. Freedom. You don't even have to wear a mask to listen. And it would be just like wearing a mask to listen if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already thank you very much, uh-huh? A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for the show, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all you have to do is buy them, and a playlist of the music you hear here on, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shear. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.